Hello, critical thinkers. Today we're going to explore the corrupt world of the medical industrial complex as we talk about Farmageddon. We're going to talk about its history, some of the recent events, and we're even going to talk about how that might connect to some of the medical or health events today. And by the end of it, you might even have a serious case, case of trust deficiency disorder. Let's get into it. There's a lot to cover today. I do have about five, actually exactly five clips uh, that will blow your mind. These are things that people don't exactly think about around some pharmaceutical corruption and uh, just things that we should be aware of. So actually, my script looks like it has pulled up. That'll make things a lot easier. Um, but you know, the, the reality is everybody can be diagnosed with something nowadays. We live in a very pharmaceuticalized world. Uh, I've come from a psychology background and I'm familiar with the DSM five, the diagnostic diagnostic manual. It's the new newest version. And, um, basically anybody can be diagnosed with something and these institutions are always adjusting the parameters and trying to find ways to prescribe us more drugs and even if you don't want to look mentally you can look physically with the blood pressure was recently changed in the past few years and as a result of the changes more people can be diagnosed with high blood pressure uh, which means more drugs can be prescribed and I don't think that is accidental uh, that part is just my opinion that that I don't think it's accidental that they prescribe more drugs because of it uh, but it is a fact that they have adjusted the blood pressure guidelines uh, I also mentioned the DSM-5 here's a disclaimer this is a sensitive topic because some people take pharmaceuticals some people have conditions uh, especially you know physical or mental conditions I do take these things seriously and none of what I say today should be taken as uh, dismissive or insensitive or anything like that I, I try to be very careful with my words and if anything does appear insensitive or anything of the sort uh, it, it should not be perceived that way maybe I misspeak or or uh, maybe it is a mis misperception Either way, please understand, you know, I'm, I'm a good person here trying to find uh, truth and talk about facts and reality. And um, and I say that as a disclaimer because, you know, some of this can be controversial. Uh, but we do live in a culture and a society where everything can be pathologized. And I have a few examples here. So uh, my attention is fleeting in a world where everybody is competing for my attention. So I have a deficit of attention. Hey, attention deficit disorder. Let's give you amphetamines. You know what? I also have anxiety sometimes. Uh, okay, so you have light generalized anxiety disorder let's give you some benzodiazepines that's not all doc i also sometimes have lots of energy and sometimes my energy dips oh that is uh borderline personality disorder let's give you some mood stabilizers for that and i also noticed that you questioned authority earlier so you question authority that is oppositional defiance disorder we're going to give you some tranquilizers or something for that just to get you to stop asking so many questions thank you doc i, I really appreciate all the help by the way i also think jimmy kimmel is funny well you know what i'm sorry uh, we can't do anything for you there. That is an incurable case of lameness. Um, so, okay, all that back and forth there. Anything can be pathologized. And check the show notes because I have a lot of sources, articles, medical journals backing up all my claims, one of which are, did you know that one third of FDA drugs are pulled off the market? This is from a Yale 2017 study. Talk about Pharmageddon. Uh, these are drugs that are supposed to be coming from the trusted pharmaceutical organizations that are then approved by the FDA to be safe. Meanwhile, they are pulling a third of them. And that's not even mentioning the side effects that many of these drugs cause. What else? Well, how about 
Medical errors are the third leading cause of death, according to a study from the British Medical Journal. That's disturbing. Medical errors. You mean the people that are supposed to be treating us for health problems? Medical errors? Third leading cause of death. What's going on? So not only can anything be pathologized, but everyone's on something. Everybody is on a drug. Nowadays, the big thing is Ozempic. I can't even tell you how many uh, people that I hear are taking this drug or interested in, in taking this drug. Uh, so Ozempic, which has all kinds of side effects we don't know the full extent of. And, and, you know, there's there's a whole lot of complexities to that, too. I think if people don't have their priorities sorted out, they might be confused for weight loss as being healthy. Uh, and weight loss is losing. I can cut off my arm and I've lost weight. OK, so weight, weight loss itself isn't necessarily healthy. Weight loss is healthy in the context of somebody who is very overweight, you know, where they need to to lose some weight. Uh, but it isn't just like the weight loss itself. It's the physiological changes that are happening in the body. Um, I, I mean, there's just so much to it. And so to try to cheat yourself out, take a cheat code and take some pill that's going to cause you to lose weight. Yeah. I mean, maybe you, you'll lose weight because it's manipulating your body in a way that is having potentially terrible effects. But this isn't an Ozempic uh, podcast. Uh, or episode. I'm just using that as an example because we also know that many people are on SSRIs and statins and all kinds of uh, pharmaceuticals, many of them taken daily. That's a great pharmaceutical business model to have people take drugs daily. Uh, and that's, you know, I know some people might hear that and, and deem it conspiratorial, but you have to understand there are executives sitting around in boardrooms wearing suits that figure out how we can identify or get you to identify certain illnesses or symptoms that you might be facing so that we can prescribe you the exact drug that you need. We're going to make an ad where some lady is riding a bike and she's smiling and there's uh, calming music in the background and everyone is you know, giving each other a hug and wow, this medicine is the best. I mean, you've seen these ads. So everybody is on something and it's worth asking the question, is this normal? It doesn't seem normal to me. What the hell is going on? Everyone's on something. Everybody's sick. So we've heard of the military industrial complex. This is a complex, you know, like the, the technical word complex. It is a, um, an interconnected network of different industries that all kind of rely on each other, rely on each other in, in this military industrial complex. We, most of us know and accept that this is a reality, but what is not often talked about is the medical industrial complex. Similarly, it is an interconnected network of industry players, all of whom have a role in health in some way. So we're talking about uh, hospitals. We're talking about pharmaceutical companies. Uh, we're talking about even government regulatory agencies and academic institutions. The medical industrial complex is very real. It's very influential and it's very powerful. It, it is a uh, big machine that can often get its way because there is so much money involved. As a matter of fact, the pharmaceutical industry is the largest lobby out of all the lobbying organizations. And this ultimately leads to things like putting profit over care. Uh, so, you know, we, we tend to think of the health system as helping people with their health. Uh, at least that's the surface level thought about it. But when you dig a little deeper and doctors will tell you that doctors are leaving the, the industry because of how broken the system is. People aren't exactly always getting the help they need. And that's for a multitude of reasons. But one of them worth talking about is because there is plenty of room for corruption in the, in the health and medical and pharmaceutical industry. And doctors are really trained to 
I mean, think in a certain way. Of course, we know that. Uh, but there's a lot of pharmaceutical influence in the training of doctors. And you have to wonder if everybody exercised and ate right and took care of their health. It seems to me like the the current medical model would completely collapse. And that, of course, would be a great thing. And uh, for those who maybe want to take control of their health, check out MikeVera.com. That's Mike V as in Victor, E-R-A. Because health coaching is really revolutionizing health. This is the behavioral component that seems to be missing from such a broken system where you have nurses who prep the patient, you have doctors who kind of see, quote-unquote, see the patient, because half the time they're not actually even looking at the patient, they're typing away at the computer. There's a missing component, and that's the behavioral component, and that's what health coaches do. But I don't want to get too into that right now. We could save that for later. I do want to talk about, let's, let's make things a little more interesting here. I have a whole list of medical tragedies that could have been prevented starting with case 329. This is from GlaxoSmithKline. Essentially, they fabricated data to downplay the dangers of SSRIs. I have a citation for that. You can check it out in the show notes. A really good book on this topic is Farmageddon, you know, the same title of this episode, uh, by Dr. David Healy, a world-renowned psychopharmacologist who spends an entire book talking about the corruption in the pharmaceutical industry and basically the the murder that they get away with because they're handing out these drugs. And I do mean murder, and I'm going to make that very clear ahead. Uh, but at the very least, harm that they get away with because they just have to pay some money in damages and they usually make tons more money than they paid in the damages. The incentive structure is set up for them to just keep doing this. And you know that that's true because they keep doing this. So case 329 is a famous one. They ended up paying $3 billion in damages from their marketing, which their marketing, like that's the the legal terminology used in the lawsuit. Uh, but it, they just manipulated the data. Statistics can be manipulated. And there's a really good book on this called How to Lie with Statistics. It's not a manual to teach you how to lie. It's a catchy title uh, on how people do manipulate statistics in order to present a certain case in a particular way. It helps them make arguments in a very forced way. Uh, and that's what the pharmaceutical industry is really good at. A lot of people don't understand numbers. They don't understand statistics. They don't understand arguments or marketing or advertising or the role of ghostwriters in pharmaceutical studies and all these intricacies uh, that are important to pay attention to if we want to protect our health and be vigilant about possible manipulation. Okay, so that's one, and I have about five examples here. That one was case 329. Another one that's more popular, popular maybe isn't the right word, but well-known is the Tuskegee experiment. And uh, I'm reading the title of the experiment here, okay? So the title of the experiment is the Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in the Negro male. I'm not saying that. That's the name of the study. Uh, And That study was conducted between 1932 and 1972 by the United States Public Health Service and the CDC and uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on a group of nearly 400 African-American men with syphilis. Uh, And just like the last example with Case 329 where they knew the damages and they did their thing anyway to, to make money off of it, Uh, The Tuskegee experiment, they knew the harms, they let them go on longer than they should have, they knew what they were doing, and they did it anyway. And that is also true for this next example here, Merck's Gardasil vaccine. This is an extremely controversial one, but one that is, uh, there are lawsuits, many lawsuits to go along with this one. As a matter of fact, the U.S. court paid $6 million from damages to the family of a girl who died, and there are hundreds of other lawsuits. Another example where they knew and did it anyway. 
I have one more example before we get into the clips. And then it's like boom, 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 tons of clips. Well, not tons, but back to back. Uh, But the next example here is Johnson & Johnson knowingly had asbestos-contaminated products in where? In baby powder. So this was a $4.7 billion lawsuit where they knew that the talc caused cancer. Uh, Asbestos, I guess, uh, was in the talc or is a component of talc. Uh, Either way, Johnson & Johnson knowingly allowed these harms to disperse on the population through their pharmaceutical products. So, so far, we have GlaxoSmithKline, major pharmaceutical uh, company, harming people with their SSRIs in this particular instance. Tuskegee Experiment, this is the United States government harming people knowingly, doing it anyway. Merck, pharmaceutical company, knowingly harming people with Gardasil. Johnson & Johnson, knowingly harming people with asbestos. Bayer is the next example here, another pharmaceutical company, knowingly spreading HIV to people with hemophilia, so with a uh, blood disorder. And I actually have a clip for this one, because this one might be hard to believe. Are you telling me that Bayer spread HIV in contaminated medications? That's exactly what I'm telling you. So before I even say any more, let's go into the clip. Mike, welcome to the show. We appreciate you being on tonight. Thanks for the invitation, Joe. Okay, let's talk about the rat of the week. Why is Bear Corporation the rat of the week? Internal documents show that after this company positively, absolutely knew that they had a medication that was infected with the AIDS virus, they took the product off the market in the U.S. and then they dumped it in France, Europe, Asia, and Latin America. The medicine's called Factor 8. It was an inject an injection medicine that was used for hemophiliacs, mostly children. Children. Children had been born with an incurable disease. Hold on, disease. hold on, Mike. So, hold on, hold on. So you're yeah. telling me that Bear knew that this drug was infected with the AIDS virus. At- they yanked it from the market in America, and then they dumped it in markets overseas? They had to figure out a way, Joe, to make a profit on a product that they could not sell in America. So they made a huge profit. They jumped, they dropped the product in Japan, Spain, and France. By the way, Joe, government officials in France that allowed that to happen actually had to go to prison for in America, not one corporate executive for this company has been indicted or even criminally investigated by our Justice Department. Why not? What, you're telling me that these people that dumped this AIDS-tainted blood in foreign countries yes. who killed children have not been have not been taken to task in the United it's, States? It, it's worse than that. The U.S. government allowed it to happen. The FDA allowed this to happen. And now the government is completely looking the other way. Thousands of innocent hemophiliacs have died from the AIDS virus. And not only they're dying, their family members are dying because they're becoming infected with the disease. So I don't know about you, but that pisses me off pretty bad. The government, the FDA, that you're supposed to trust, you're supposed to be able to trust these people, knowingly dispersed contaminated medications to vulnerable populations, and many people died. Some people paid the price in other countries, but not here, not in the United States. It's infuriating. And if people don't know about these things, they can get fooled. That alone is enough to not trust pharmaceutical companies or the government or the government regulatory agencies. I mean, trust whoever you want. I'm not telling you who to trust, but... Maybe they've changed their ways. I'm sure they're fine now. (laughs) But... That's not the only example. That's the thing. There are plenty of other examples of harms that the pharmaceutical industry allowed to happen. One of them is really disturbing, and it's known as the thalidomide catastrophe. This is a drug that during the 1950s and 60s was prescribed for morning sickness, and it led to phocomelia in babies of moms who took it, as well as other problems. And that's a condition where the babies were basically born without limbs. You might have seen people like this. Uh, if you've ever seen 
someone who uh, it almost looks like, I mean, they just have maybe a missing arm, both missing arms, and you kind of see like just a piece of the bone wrapped in skin. It, it, you notice it. And very likely most of those people are, are what they call thalidomide babies. That's a little cold. I wouldn't point at somebody and say, hey, you're a thalidomide baby. That's kind of mean. But that's uh, what those people are known as because they are the unfortunate victims of the thalidomide catastrophe. And I do have a clip for this. I apologize for the sound in the last clip. I think this one's a little better. This is actually a, a YouTube video, a documentary that somebody put together on the uh, some of the history of thalidomide. It's a minute and 47 seconds. Here we go. Thalidomide, sold by the German drug maker Chemi Grunenthal, was marketed as a sedative used to relieve everything from anxiety to morning sickness. But it is remembered as the causative agent in perhaps the greatest pharmaceutical scandal of all time. About 10,000 babies, mostly residing in Germany, Britain and Australia, were born with severe birth defects in the 1950s and 60s. The effects range from severely shortened or auto-amputated arms and legs, malformations in their ears and other soft tissue structures, as well as changes to their internal organs. This experiment in human embryos faced its inevitable end when, through the actions of key individuals such as Dr. Francis Kelsey, an FDA inspector that prevented the drug's approval in the US, and Dr. William McBride, who began to investigate the symptoms of the babies he was delivering. But unfortunately, by the time they were able to get their voices heard and gain a foothold against the blanket denial of the German drug maker, the damage had been done, and many families' lives were altered forever. In a post-war era riddled with poverty, job insecurity, and sleepless nights, Thalidomide was thought to be a solution to break us free of benzodiazepine addiction and to sedate a population on edge. It was a key component in its massive appeal, but unfortunately our push for a globalised economy and distribution of drugs was not accompanied by transparent communication. It took 50 years for the German drug maker Chemi Grunenthal to issue a formal apology. They continue to be one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. How crazy is that? So not only was this whole catastrophe something that happened, but how many similarities do you see to what's happening today? How they presented this drug, thalidomide, hey, this is our saving grace. We don't need benzodiazepines anymore. And we still have benzos. You know how that went. Uh, but this was it was presented as this very nice thing because pharmaceutical companies market their drugs. That's what they do. And the biggest thing that really stuck out to me there is that it took, what did he say, like 50 years for people to even, or no, I'm sorry, it was, it was 10 years. So it took, uh, I think, 10 years for them to even figure this out. Um, so, I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about some of the harms of certain currently used medical products going on oh you know what i'm not talking on youtube this is only on uh rumble and foxhole so i can say it the vaccines like we know the covid vaccines uh likely have certain harms they were presented as this very good thing and uh i the next clip i have casts some doubt on the infallibility that was presented to us of the COVID vaccines. So I'm going to let this speak for itself. It's a minute long. This is from a recent congressional hearing. Is there a higher interest or a higher incidence of myocarditis among adolescent males 16 to 24 after taking your vaccine? So thank you for the question, Senator. First, let me say we care deeply about safety and we're working closely to, with the CDC and the FDA to get... Pretty much a yes or no. Is there a higher incidence of myocarditis among boys 16 to 24 after they take your vaccine? The data I've shown actually, I've seen, sorry, from the CDC actually shown that there's less myocarditis for people who get the vaccine versus who get COVID infection. You're, you're saying that for ages 16 to 24 among males who take the COVID vaccine, their risk of myocarditis is less 
than people who get the disease. That is my understanding, That is not true, and I'd like to enter into the record six peer-reviewed papers from the Journal of Vaccine, the Annals of Medicine, that say the complete opposite of what you say. I also spoke with your president just last week, and he readily acknowledged in private that, yes, there is an increased risk of myocarditis. The fact that you can't say it in public is quite disturbing. So there you go. Uh, And those... You know, myocarditis we know aren't the isn't the only type of harm that can be experienced from the COVID vaccine. We know that there are also some menstrual or hormonal issues that women have been experiencing, uh, blood clots as well. I mean, these are well documented things that you don't hear on TV. Back, you know, with the, the one of the last clips that we showed with Bayer and the HIV drugs. It's hard to even imagine a time when the news actually did the news. I mean, you turn on TV nowadays, it's 100% bad propaganda. I I mean, you you don't really see actual news on the news. And how much better would we be off today? How much better would people be off today if the news actually did their jobs? Thank God for Rand Paul actually asking the tough questions. And that was, uh, by the way, one of the Moderna executives, maybe even the CEO, I forget. Uh, So this is just another incident, uh, or another instance, rather, of them knowingly allowing harms. So they knew about the myocarditis. And if you look at some of the other leaked Pfizer documents, I mean, there are lists, entire lists of all the possible harms that were, well, not even possible, some of the harms that were documented in their experimentation. So hopefully you've noticed a pattern here because these types of patterns are important to notice. We've talked about pharmaceutical or medical tragedies, starting with GlaxoSmithKline, case 329. We talked about the Tuskegee experiment. We talked about Merck's Gardasil. We talked about J&J with their asbestos lawsuit. We talked about Bayer spreading HIV-contaminated medications. We talked about thalidomide that went on for a very long time, caused all kinds of problems. It went on for so long, and people, oh, you know, there were all these cases, and we never made the connection. And now fast forward to today. The same thing. And, and if you watch that documentary that I linked in the show notes for thalidomide, it is one of the quotes in there is, is uh, one of the medical professionals saying, you know, we just we had all these cases and for whatever reason, we didn't make the connection. It, I mean, what's going on today is just another instance of they knew what they were doing and they did it anyway. They don't give a fuck if they're hurting you. I know, like, people really marginalized me for suggesting at the beginning of the pandemic for saying, like, look, I'm not trying to make decisions for anybody or tell you what to think or anything. Am I going to get the COVID vaccine? You bet your ass I'm not. If you know anything about the history of medicine, you know that it's incredibly risky. I mean, let's forget about the fact that they warp speeded the the vaccine through and it didn't have all the normal processes that would normally be done to ensure safety. Let's forget about all that for a second. How about the fact that most of these giant pharmaceutical companies are proven to be evil? <laughs> that's, that's pretty much a, a good enough reason for me to uh, not, you know, take experimental pharmaceutical products. I mean, anybody who know who knew about thalidomide would be skeptical about this new experimental vaccine. But I don't know, the propaganda was so strong that I, I couldn't even talk about these legitimate facts without somebody making me out to be a crazy conspiracy theorist. And I'm not the only one. I have a clip here ahead from the Joe Rogan podcast. He was talking about ivermectin. When he got COVID, he was taking ivermectin, which, by the way, is a Nobel Prize winning drug. It has plenty of research establishing safety. It has plenty of legitimate purposes. It's not a horse dewormer, although it can be used for that purpose. It is absolutely used as a human drug. And what did they do to to Joe Rogan? They spread propaganda. Like literally they manipulated his video coloring and everything. 
And uh, if you're familiar with this, you know that Sanjay Gupta from CNN, the medical expert over at CNN, was, for whatever reason, went on to the Joe Rogan podcast where Joe was able to confront him. And so let's look at that. Does it bother you that the news network you work for out and out lied, well, just outright lied about me taking horse dewormer? They, they, they shouldn't have said that. Why did they do that? I don't know. You didn't ask? You I didn't think that was did, your, you're the medical guy over there. I didn't ask. I should have asked before coming But they coming did it with podcast. such glee. No, yes, Joe. Yes, they did. I watched. They, you I watched. watched? I watched. You watched. No, I don't think there's yes, glee. Yes, they did. I don't, I, no one takes... <laughs> Joe Rogan says he has COVID, taking, taking livestock drug despite warnings. Yeah. Jamie had to pull this up. You want to huh? play it? Does she, does she this have is glee? your news network. I'm going to watch. Let's see. I'm going to watch. Rogan telling his 13 million Instagram followers that he was treated with several drugs, and he included ivermectin on the list, a drug used for livestock. The FDA and the CDC warn against using to treat COVID. Turns out I got COVID. Look, they put a so yellow filter on me too. The kitchen sink out of all kinds <laughs> of meds. Monoclonal you see the, the original video versus uh, that? I look like shit there. Z-pack. Do you know that? I think you look good. Pause. Uh, Pause. It's enough. Prednisone. I don't That's think. enough, Jamie. I don't but, think Aaron had glee. Oh, well, it's more Brian Stelter was the gleeful one. But this, the point is, that's a lie. It can be used for humans. I, I get it. I, I totally... Not just could be used for humans. Is often used for humans along with all the other drugs I took. All human drugs. Yes. They know it's a human drug. It's, it's, a, it can, it's right. But and the, they lied. The thing It's I, defamatory. It, it is. It is uh, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. I... Good for him. Good for Joe Rogan for not putting up with that. Because it is propaganda. Like... It, <laughs> Anybody who did even a second of research would know that. But the problem is there are plenty of people who either don't do the research and they just take whatever is presented in front of them at face value or health literacy is just not there. And even if they do the research, they don't know what to believe. And those are both serious problems. And if we don't do something about this, it's only going to get worse, unfortunately, because even as bad as things are right now, and they've tried to mandate and pressure all sorts of health behaviors, we know that this isn't the end game. They're going to keep pushing and pushing and taking this as far as they can. And I have a clip here from Yuval Noah Harari, who is one of the, uh, if not the, lead advisor to Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum. Uh, this little gremlin of a person has all kinds of grand ideas for what we should do with our health and how we should live as a society. He said all kinds of reprehensible things about what he, how he feels about humanity and people and uh, how he wants to uh, basically just, just give us all video games and keep us busy while the elite important people do their work. Uh, so I will say with this clip, it's only a minute and 21 seconds. Uh, it, it's like a series of very brief clips all strung into one. The There's like a noise that's kind of annoying between clips, like a whoosh, like a whoosh between these clips. So I apologize for that. Uh, but it is pretty disturbing either way. So here we go, a minute and 20 seconds. Ideally, the response to COVID should be the establishment of a global healthcare system a basic healthcare system for the entire human race. I mean, COVID makes it, it accelerates the process of digitalization and automatization. It legitimizes the deployment of mass surveillance, even in democratic countries, and it makes surveillance go under your skin. Just imagine the situation when everybody goes around all the time with some biometric bracelet or other device that constantly monitors what's happening inside your body. So the moment your body temperature starts rising or there are other signs that something is wrong, the health authority knows that you're sick and you're isolated and that's it. That's the end of the epidemic. If we had such a system today, there won't be COVID. The same system that can know if I just got COVID or I have the flu can also know if I'm angry or if I'm bored or if I'm happy. The really big story of our time 
is the emerging ability to hack you. <laughs> the emerging ability to hack humans. Uh, so this guy has been very open about these ideas for quite a while, saying things like we're going to hack humans, we're going to track you all the time. COVID has legitimized a global surveillance system. We need to track you under your skin so we know if you're sick or not. And, you know, I really think on some level to some people, some of these things sound nice. You can understand, especially with the World Economic Forum propaganda videos where they play the calming music in the background and they have the soft voice, soft spoken person. You know, we, we imagine a world where everybody is healthy. Imagine a world with no pandemics and, and they really like soothe you into believing they're horseshit. And, you know, obviously in, in a free society, constant surveillance digitally tracking you under your skin so they can monitor your fluctuations in temperature and even mood knowing if you're happy or bored doesn't seem conducive to liberty or comfort or it doesn't even seem any like desirable in in any way to a general population it seems very desirable to people who you know have the resources to collect and interpret all the data talking people like Bill Gates, you know, who, who owns entire systems to be able to analyze these things. I mean, there's a lot of incentive there for somebody like Bill Gates to push these ideas. And, and I won't get into Bill Gates, although as much as I want to, uh, we'll save that for another episode. So how did we get here with all these medical catastrophes and like, the, what's the phrase? Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. There has been, there have been so many instances of medical catastrophes. I mean, one is currently unfolding now and people are still asleep. Many people are still asleep. And so that is part of the problem. When you think of how did we get here? I mean, that's why I'm part of the reason I'm doing this show is to just keep speaking the truth and speaking up and doing the best I can to spread awareness about these things and to inspire others to speak up too, because this, I can't do it alone, that's for sure. And I'm not the only one doing this. There are a lot of other people speaking up, but it is important to talk about these things because it's been frustrating. It's been a very frustrating past few years as somebody who speaks about a lot of this only to be met with dismissal and all these different things and even now as I film this I don't know if I'm going to stop recording to find out that the video has been pulled off of Facebook or something uh, just for saying truths and asking questions so that's another thing censorship and suppression is another reason that we ended up here uh, at least in in more recent days right we know this thanks to the Twitter files but even on a deeper systemic level, the doctors are a big part of the problem. And don't get me wrong, I love doctors. Uh, some of my best friends are doctors. My dad's a doctor. Uh, I, I have a lot of respect for doctors. So this isn't a blanket criticism of doctors. Specified training can be thought of as an indoctrination process. And, you know, some people are, are finding out that they've been wrong about a lot of things for the past few years. I've seen videos of doctors apologizing. Uh, Dr. Drew, for example, is a well-known kind of celebrity doctor, did a public apology saying, hey, you know, I told everybody to get the vaccine, that it was perfect, and I was wrong. So we are starting to see that, thankfully, pe doctors and medical professionals who are able to put aside their ego and admit that they were wrong when they pushed vaccines based on really nothing but authority and, and just trust for Fauci. Um, okay, so... We're still in the question, how did we get here? Money corrupts. There is a lot of money to be made on pharmaceuticals and vaccines. I have a business. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, a capitalist person. I'm, I'm trying to make money with my business. That's, uh, part of what allows me to speak freely and to, you know, live my life. But it's worth pointing out that there are problems with this model, this economic model. I'm not saying burn down the system, not at all. I don't know the answer to this. I don't, but I think it's worth exploring together and, and with an open mind 
trying to figure out what do we do about this problem that that capitalism seems to invite a lot of danger when it's applied in certain industries like the pharmaceutical industries. And I'm sure, you know, if somebody hears that, if that, that clip is taken out of context, I'm, I'm going to get some people that hate me for even saying that. But I'm, I'm just speaking honestly and reasonably here. I'm not saying let's, let's all be communists. I'm definitely not saying that. Um, and I'm not saying let's, let's end capitalism either. I honestly don't know. And if you do, if you have some ideas, please uh, let me know. Send them uh, as a comment if you're watching this on Rumble. Uh, let me know what you think, because it is something that I think is worthy of discussion. Okay, so money corrupts. There's also a misinterpretation of medical statistics uh, or poor understanding. Uh, so, you know, statistics isn't exactly something that's second nature, That that is just really easy to grasp with no effort. So that's that could be part of it. And I mentioned earlier a book, Lying with Statistics, is a good book to check out. Uh, but as we wind down here, start closing, the system is broken. I've given numerous examples. And even aside from what we've discussed already with like thalidomide and, and Bayer and HIV, we know there's uh, side effects, normalization of sickness, it, it's really worth thinking about that everybody is sick and nobody really talks about it or asks questions about it. It's, it is unusual. Uh, but the good news is we can fix this. We can protect ourselves. And I have two perspectives here for what we can do about this. Uh, from one perspective is like the, the medical system perspective. This is one approach to sort of addressing these Farmageddon problems. Uh, well, we need to educate doctors on the history of modern medicine. And there's a whole lot to say there. We'll save that for another episode about the Rockefellers' involvement, possible involvement in modern medicine and, and how money can could have affected medicine as we know it today. Educate doctors on the history of some of the medical catastrophes. I named maybe six or seven of them. There are plenty more. Very important. I think doctors should be educated on medical business, medical marketing, medical propaganda tactics, all of which the pharmaceutical companies use, because that tells them how they might be manipulated. It helps inform the decision making. Because honestly, the way doctors make decisions now is they read a journal, they meet the drug reps, they shake some hands, they get some pens and fancy gadgets and, and whatever that have branded uh, drug names on there. And then hey, you know, let me just prescribe you this drug. There's no, there's very often no critical thinking involved. It's just like, let's see what the study says. And honestly, if you read the book Farmageddon, uh, as well as, it's not only that book, but we know that many of the studies that doctors are reading in journals are essentially just advertisements. The numbers can be manipulated. They can have ghostwriters producing the studies. Uh, things can be presented in a certain way. So everything should be questioned. Uh, recognizing ads. Doctors should be able to recognize ads. And I don't mean like looking at TV and, and seeing uh, uh, some kind of advertisement for pharmaceutical. I mean like the, the more insidious ones. So if you remember the show House, Dr. House, he's popping brand name Vicodin multiple times on every episode. You also have Eminem. Half of his songs have brand name drugs. I mean, any rapper, any of the new rappers nowadays, you have rappers who are named after drugs, Lil Xan, like a Xanax bar. So those are advertisements. Whether you realize it or not, uh, those are in, in probably 99% of cases paid for, uh, especially when you hear a certain pattern like Eminem. Half his songs mention a, a handful of specific drugs brand names. So, I mean, not only doctors, but people should be educated on this. What else? For doctors, skepticism should be encouraged. Question authoritative institutions. Check the show notes on this part because uh, I have a few sources here. Lancet retracts COVID studies. Uh, here's another one. 500 papers retracted from the, one of the world's largest open access journal publishers. 
It's retracting more than 500 papers based on the discovery of unethical actions. Here's another one. This is from the British, Mer- the British Medical Journal, BMJ Opinion Blog. The headline, Time to Assume That Health Research Is Fraudulent Until Proven Otherwise. And that blog goes into basically a lot of what I've said already about... Uh, None of these things should be taken at face value because of corruption, manipulation, statistical fuckery, uh, you know, lying with statistics, all of that. And people have been conditioned to accept lies and vague terminology and it, it's not cool. So uh, consider this like, you know, when people want a second opinion, it's uh, they're basically asking for a new type of argument. Like, I don't like what my doctor said. I want a second opinion. You know, so doctors can be wrong, right? We know this. Second opinion is a a good idea. Uh, What else? So this is the last of what I have here. This is where it ends because I I already talked about doctors. But what about us? What about the individuals? What can we do to protect our health, especially from corrupt pharmaceutical companies? We can learn about the history, about the medical tragedies. Uh, This is crucial. Reading about a scientific study, like an article, reading an article, is not the same as actually reading a scientific study. Over the past three years, I've had tons of people like, so I I read the studies. I have a master of science degree. Now, it doesn't make me the world's leading expert on anything. It doesn't make me a medical doctor, but I know how to look at a scientific paper. Meanwhile, I can't even tell you how many people like, oh, yeah, I read about it in Business Insider or Forbes magazine or The Atlantic. And like reading about something is not the same as reading the actual study. And not only that, even if you do read the study, that's not the same as thinking about it. Reading is not a replacement for thinking. I mean, reading is better than not doing anything, but reading or, or thinking should follow reading. Otherwise, you're just indoctrinating yourself. I mean, if you're just reading without thinking about it, you're just self-indoctrinating. So some people, they just, they use reading an article as a replacement for thinking. This is like, if, if you heard the term NPC, these people who have no original thoughts whatsoever, these people just, they read propaganda on social media in their favorite, uh, you know, news channels. They watch their favorite TV shows, their favorite news channels, uh, and they just regurgitate whatever those people are saying. And, and to them, it feels like they've thought about it. You know, they hear something, it resonates with them. It it feels good because it matches with whatever they already think. And then they just regurgitate that information. It's, it's easy to identify these things too, because it's usually specific talking points. You can like search for it on Twitter. You'll find 9,000 people that say the same exact thing in like the same words and, and everything. And you can see this with the anchors, too, where they say the same language and the same pattern and everything. It's propaganda, and people love to fall for it. So in order to prevent that, be skeptical of authority. This is why I hate mandating anything, like mandating the vaccine or mandating masks. Mandating the vaccine is more than just mandating a pharmaceutical product. It's mandating trust in authority. It, it strips you of your ability to critically think for yourself, to be skeptical, to challenge authority. You're not allowed to challenge authority. You're not allowed to ask these questions. We are telling you you're getting the vaccine. Whether you like it or not, it's for your own good. I don't want to live like that. I'm not going to live like that. I've been in a... St- I'm, I'm in Pennsylvania. Okay, I could tell you 80% of the people do not identify with my views. Most of the people I talk to every day are the opposite of everything I've said here. They'll watch this and think like, that's fine. We've, we've gotten past the, we've learned from the thalidomide catastrophe and, and the HIV Bayer incident. Like this is totally unrelated. It's fine now. That's fine. You know, I I don't know. What, What can you say? But the closeness, maybe you've heard of this, the closeness issue. It's like, I've said this in, past episodes it's an issue like if let's say i have a problem with the skin on my hand or some kind of problem my hand if i have it all the way up here against my eyeballs where it's like basically touching my eyes i can't really get a good look at what the problem might be i'm too close to it 
And this is this closeness problem is part of what I believe to be the problem with all of the nonsense that's gone on in the past few years. I think the doctors, many of the doctors, are too close to the problem. They just, they can't see it for how it really is because they're just in it. They're, they're really in the system. They're indoctrinated into a point like they're just part of the system. They're too close. And it, it makes them kind of incapable of critically thinking about things on a reasonable or objective level. And, you know, that's not really only my opinion. There's a lot of research coming out that everything, uh, a lot of the things that these medical professionals were saying are wrong just straight up wrong and look i'm going to be talking about that more and more i have an entire database of studies of thousands of studies on all this stuff on pharmaceuticals in general as well as the vaccines and masks you name it so this isn't something i'm ready to shut up about as a matter of fact i'm only going to get louder so if you do want to work on your health and circumvent the propaganda and really transform your life in a positive way, head over to MikeVira.com. Check out my Red Pill Your Health program. I've been doing health for a long time. You know, I I started as a, uh, well, I I was in uh, cognitive psychology research. I was doing research as a lab manager. Then I did personal training. And then more recently, I've been doing health coaching, board-certified health coaching, So the same organization that certifies board-certified doctors, under the the same organization, I am a board-certified health coach. So I've uh, helped people change their habits and get the correct information that they need to transform their health. So head over to MikeVira.com, check out that program. And if you're not into that right now, if you're not ready for that, that's perfectly okay. Please subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to my Rumble, spread the word like the video, leave me a comment, check the show notes, all that good stuff. But most importantly, stay healthy, stay awake.